0: A generations of Jedi the guardians of peace justice and Lord, and the welcome back to people's history of the old Republic episode 1.21 it's all a bunch of World war II shit that's all I got <laughs> I'm Luke that's Kelsey There's always a bit of truth in legends, Kelsey. I believe we're going to talk about uh, about war in the Star Wars podcast.
1: Turns turns out turns out that if you have me on your Star Wars podcast, this is the thing we will talk about. Um, So one of the things I'm fine with that. (laughs) I appreciate it. So one of the things we've been wanting to do for some time, and I tossed this, uh, I tossed this out on Twitter a few times just to, you know, mine what y'all are thinking, but what are the actual sort of battles that define Star Wars? And you would think, right? I mean, it's fundamentally there should be some, and there are some in every everything, though it's kind of fascinating to see where we get a depth of battles and where there's only like maybe one or two per thing. Um, and so I thought it would be kind of mm-hmm. interesting to go through um at the very least, we can start with, like, the film canon and we can pepper it in with other stuff, just looking at, like, some of the battles, sort of all of the thing that sets this this in motion. Um, and rather than doing a, a release order, I think it's interesting to do a sort of um, in-canon uh, chronology, which means that the very first battle that occurs canonically in cinematic Star Wars um, is questionably even a battle. It is the invasion of Naboo um, in the Phantom Menace. um, That's uh, 32 years uh, before the Battle of Yavin. Um, Of course, it is extremely appropriate that all of Star Wars uses a uh, timeline based around proximity to a battle. Um, But so the invasion of Naboo really (laughs) doesn't have. It's not quite the invasion of Luxembourg, but it's not much more than that. Um, And that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Well, they have like a, they have like a whole processional through the street and everything like that. You know, like it's very, uh, I guess I imagine like it's very like Napoleonic in that way where they're just marching, you know, they're just doing, uh, you know, big forced attendance marches in the street, you know, in the street or whatever. But I'm, you know, I'm sure that happened in World War II too. So,
1: yeah, and even, um, yeah, and like the the invasion. Of Luxembourg stands out, right? Luxembourg is this uh, tiny um, outlier, independent kingdom. Believe it's still a kingdom. Um, In Europe, it's really just like a functional, fancy city-state that got to be independent because it was convenient for everybody. And it turns out that it doesn't matter if they're independent if – I should know this. I think it's World War I where the German army marched through on the way to France and the prime minister came out with a treaty, held it up to the general saying, you signed a treaty saying you wouldn't do this. And they arrested him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's one of the things where it is. um
0: Hey, you know, like it, when has relying on a, Ridiculously ancient document as a basis for basically everything functioning in your society ever been a problem. A constitutional crisis is not something that's really ever happened in history, even once that I can think of.
1: (laughs) Not ever. That's definitely why we don't have a whole term for the category of crisis. Yeah, so. I think what's really mm. interesting to think about with the Battle of Blue is that it's presented um it happens during right, the opening, and the opening gets um if you were uh as as uh, some of our hosts may be, right? If you were a child watching Phantom Menace and you were super stoked to see
0: a new Star Wars and you get I'm this really- older than you are. I know. I was saying I was the child. <laughs> oh, I was like I was like, uh, okay, but okay. No, that's fine. I just didn't, uh Yeah. Um, I just got confused. Let's let's go ahead. Pretend that didn't happen. Yes. <laughs> so, right. You go you sit down and like you get this weird scroll about like trade disputes and that's
1: extremely boring and then you get <laughs> Jedi um who are trying to negotiate and then they're gassed and you get the the fighting that happens... The negotiations are we short.
0: Yeah. Yeah, negotiation. Great. Good, good, quippy. I, I, just, had to, I with... just had to shoehorn that in there, sorry. No, it's
1: important. It's important because this is like one of those moments where like, oh, this is going to be good and exciting, and it has that sort of cheesy magic um, that one when associates with Star Wars. And then what happens, right, is that the only fighting happens with the Jedi on the ship. Um, And the invasion is presented as a fait accompli, right? The battle droids land, there's already the blockade, right? Um, We get the there, but you already get the tension and the control. And then what really happens is the um, invasion converts the uh, presumed control into actual control. Um, And there's not a ton of fighting. Like you could, um, especially... Um, immediately then that we know of, that we get to see on screen, right? We get our, our protagonist uh, stumble into the locals and then go underground. And the movie then spends almost all of its time away from the war, which is wild, um, as a as a pretext. Um,
0: well, they had to have a pit stop on a sand dune to get the ship fixed by a mechanic.
1: It's it's extremely extremely crucial, yes. Um, very very well plotted, well well written, right? That's the thing we know about it and love about. <laughs> um, yeah. And so the, which makes the battle of Naboo, which happens later, right? The invasion sort of is the first thing, and then we get the battle, and the battle is then presented as a internal kind of partisan revolt. Um, And it is maybe the most fixed piece battle in the entire series. Um, I think the only thing that comes close to like where you would see it like plotted out on a topographic map with like rectangles and arrows and the weird colored boxes of, of your Napoleonic denotation or probably predates Napoleon um, is the battle of Naboo and especially the grand portion of it. And then you also see like the battle of Hoth, I think is the only other one that's really that clear. Um, And the analogy, right? Like there's not really, it's hard to say what it looks like because the army just kind of exists. It is as an occupying force forgot that there was another military there. Um, it's not quite, you know, uh, Hessians drunk on uh, the day after Christmas and um, – or Christmas, I forget how that happens. Um, but, like, it's it's something like that, right? It falls under the kind of uh, colonial-occupied revolt. Um, yeah. And which really – Like the thing that fundamentally changes, right, is obviously where you get the the return of control um, and you get the the blockade is destroyed. It turns out um, this is a thing with real world implications soon, which is sort of terrifying to think about. It turns out having all of your uh, robots with guns controlled by the same computer in one place is a bad idea.
0: Well, they fixed that by the second one. So, you know, it's no problem then.
1: Right, right, right. And I mean, that's that's realistically what we can see as a, as we see in uh, countries developing autonomous swarming things for definitely not robots with guns. The idea of a shared intelligence among several robots rather than a central coordinating node is how you ensure durability and survivability to the mission, um, which means robots keep fighting even if you shoot the one you think is thinking. Um Yeah, so I don't know, like there's
0: not It needs to real life needs to be more like video games. Like I need to be able to shoot the the one and they all power down. Like you know I understand it's a plot expedient in movies, but like I don't really care. Like it like I, I don't I don't wanna have to kill every last robot in the robot uprising. I wanna kill the one robot and we'll all be done and yeah.
1: Yeah. No. Screw Asimov's laws. What we need is a treaty that specifies the boss robot has a blinking, like a red blinking mm-hmm. light that tells us it's the boss robot. Mm-hmm.
0: And and the parts of the boss robot that are vulnerable have to light up. Absolutely. So they can so they can be shot.
1: Absolutely. And so, um, and it is interesting, right? Because it is a. I, I, George Lucas's uh, iconic, it, it's like poetry, it rhymes, right? He very clearly wanted to have a, how do you do a fighter pilot mission on a single thing that stops a war in the way that you see, or that like is decisive, right? How does one fighter pilot get to be decisive in a battle like this? Um, and that's why you have the the brain computer and the blockade um, as his rough analog to his own uh that's Star, but it's an interesting way to think um, about it and to, to frame it, um, because what it does, right, is it means that, again, following that all of Star Wars follows World War II, not even just combat conventions, but World War II cinematic conventions, um, all combat has to happen basically within line of sight, and there are... There's a point at which you can get to a surrender uh, by a significant yeah. destruction, um, which is a weird way to program robots, but it is what it is. At least in this one, right? In this tidy little solid the, thing,
0: they throw through wave after wave of deadly, uh, of of killbot or of of robots into the killbot's way, and they hit their pre-programmed uh, kill limit, and then they shut down. I mean if it's a plot point on Futurama for Zap Brannigan it can't be a bad idea for a, a big budget movie. Ah <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Futurama was great. <laughs> well they also um, did the thing and and I'm only saying this um as a way to say that uh, people are going to be really mad if we spend the entire show on the Phantom Menace, but the Futurama also did the thing where they like, it's like a choose your own adventure at the movies and they're like voting. And it's like, do you want like exciting space battle or, uh, you know, ridiculously boring and tedious paperwork? And, you know, like and everybody pick clicks space battle, but it does the tedious paperwork anyway. It was like, yeah, that's, you know, that's how we got to, The Phantom Menace.
1: Yeah. And it's like the... We'll move on from the Phantom Menace soon, I promise. Um, But the the stakes are (laughs) basically... um, It's like a monarch restoration, right? That is what the war is, right? Yeah. And the the price of it, right, is that the Gungans are now um, included in part of the Nabu... Polity that the aid of the uh, whole other army and civilization on the planet can be brought in and then you get um, and then you get a new political settlement but all of it really doesn't matter because the whole everything, right? Uh, I, I am extremely sympathetic to the notion that if you were redoing if someone was attempting a prequel trilogy from scratch everything that you wanted to establish in The Phantom Menace could have been covered in the opening crawl of a different film Um, because the thing that it does is it really sets up a, oh, the, it turns out that, uh, space wizards with light swords are, um, not a sufficient military response. If you have other multi-planet militaries hurling themselves at each other, um, that you need a different thing. And then this is obviously what sets in motion the whole, um, militarization of the Republic and then Imperial consolidation from that. Definitely a thing we have never seen any parallels to anywhere else. Um, But yeah, what you get, right. You get is a minor political change and then you have a uh, galaxy spanning war. It's a very, very tidy thing. Um, So moving (laughs) on, um, I was struggling. So one of the things um, that when I was like coming up with, what are the battles we need to talk about? Um, or, or most important is I wanted to do the, the political science has a threshold um, of a thousand combatants um, is what it takes um, to count as a battle. Anything yeah. below that is something else. That's how you you mark wars. And it's, it's just what the standard is. Everyone likes round numbers. It gives you some sense of scale. Um, and the only one I could think of actually in attack of the clones that properly counts, right. Is battle of genosis.
0: Yeah, well the rest of it is uh the rest of it is um is uh Obi-Wan's uh spy adventure and um Anakin slaughtering um you know uh a native population and just looking at just looking this up on uh Wikipedia there were at least uh 5000 clones that are um I'm sorry there were um like at least 5,000 clone commandos there, thousands of more clone troopers and, you know, thousands upon thousands of droids. Um, so yeah, that window, uh, Genos is definitely, uh, is a battle, but yeah, I don't think, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's obviously just the, uh, just the, uh, the, the scene from gladiator, uh, redone. I don't, I don't, has that, has that actually been confirmed or is that, uh, is that a rumor or is that being affirmed?
1: I don't know if it's been confirmed. It's very hard to watch that scene and not immediately realize that's what's going on. Um I mean it's the it's the scene from Gladiator and then it turns into um a very strange pursuit. It's unclear. Um so at least with the Battle of Naboo, right? You have the you have the spaceships, you have the palace, right? There are two objectives, and uh-huh. there's space, and then there's also the armies in the field, and you can kind of see where things are going and what the objective is. And Genosis um, is one of the battles where it's a fighting retreat to off planet. It's hard to know because well, we've been in... go ahead.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, um, excuse me. There's like a book that they did. Um, you would probably like it a lot. It's a reference book. It's like, um, on the war front or something like that. And basically like it goes through and it talks about like different battles and stuff like that from an in universe perspective. And one of the things I remember from like looking at it once, I think, you know, back, back when we could go outside, um, and when, uh, when brick and mortar bookstores still existed, uh, like I looked at it at uh, Barnes and Noble and there was something in there about the battle of Geonosis and something that always stuck out to me was it's like the um, Confederacy of independent systems never intended to win the battle of Geonosis. Their only goal was to get um, like a few of the separatist leaders, Dooku and the death star plans off the planet. And like something that's always weird to me, And, and I get is that a lot of people don't really pick up that, that, that they're seeing the Death Star plans because it's not like they don't specifically say, look at this, you know, look at this Death Star thing, which I don't think they should have to, but, you know, I don't think a lot of people notice that, um, sometimes you don't really notice that it's basically like they're just fighting back until they can, uh, evacuate, um, I guess it's like Saigon or whatever. They're just fighting until they can evacuate uh, Duku, and then, and then that was that.
1: Yeah, I mean it might even
0: be a real
1: stretch to say it's separatist Dunkirk, um, but it is. It's a fighting retreat, right? The it's uh, the unintentional debut of the war. It is supposed to be like a trap for leadership, and then it becomes clear that the uh, which the separatists should have anticipated one might imagine that the war was going to be more than just uh space wizards versus uh, an
0: infinite factory of robots but it is right it's a function well i think yeah i, I all i was going to say is i think that they um um uh, like i don't think that they cared about losing that specific battle, like I think they were fully prepared to like have all those droids just like get slaughtered by the Jedi or by someone else. It didn't matter, just so long as all that stuff got uh, right. And
1: that's know, another got thing. Off
0: planet um,
1: that we see, and like it's um, <laughs> human history is, of course, replete with this. Right where the uh, people in charge of battles feel extremely little um, concern for the beings they are commanding and the humans they are commanding into battle. But when you switch it to these are VAT grown clones versus robots, it becomes incredibly hard for the, like the stakes and the plight of the people doing the fighting to really be a meaningful thing. And that's, again, that's the prerogative of the universe and there's ways to do it, right? We're going to talk. We're going to dip into TV in a moment to talk about Clone Wars, um, which uh, does a, Remarkable job of making stakes real for what are functionally um, story-wise expendable beings, but it is right. It's the, it's all. It becomes all about leadership with a war happening around it. Um, have you? And this is this is the thing I, I should know, and maybe the reference book explains. Do you know why they have the separatists
0: as designing the Death Star? um so i don't know specifically why however i do know that in legends the death stars designed by a bunch of people and one of them was like bevel lemelisk and uh the emperor like took pleasure in like torturing him and like reviving him and torch and killing him and reviving him like you know like um and so I my guess is that they were just trying to um like have a tidy explanation for why it was designed um and why they uh and and you know so there didn't have to be like this whole thing like it was actually designed by the bad guys you know or whatever and I mean now that's sort of like well now that's gone to like Actually, Palpatine like assembled like a secret committee, a secret committee in the Senate, who were all bound to secrecy, and they basically oversaw the initial construction of the Death Star. So it ended up being like a Republic venture that was created by the Separatists, you know. So like, yeah, yeah. That that's all I know.
1: All right. So I will uh, choose to keep it as a uh, version of um, Operation Paperclip which is the term for when after <laughs> World War II, the U.S. took um, all these uh, Nazi scientists back and said, okay, so I understand that you uh, spent the, your time in the Nazi party happily overseeing uh, slave labor camps to build rockets that you hurled at England. Now, could you build us rockets that hurl us into space instead?
0: um a thing that works i mean england the vacuum of space you know whatever i'm I'm just kidding obviously
1: um yeah so so we have to this. there's not i think a great clear real world analog if you have one um let us know tweet at us we we genuinely appreciate any and all feedback um so i think the next most interesting battle um if you want to move on to the, the Clone Wars, which we've spent um, a lot of time talking about, I think partly because it's uh, very good and partly because there's hours upon hours upon hours of it. I think there's more Clone Wars than there is the rest of Star Wars. Um, Probably. At least at least for what has been put to, to film in any way. Um, but I think the most interesting battle to talk about... In Clone Wars, um, the one certainly that people asked about the most
0: on Twitter is the Battle of Umbara. Yes, the um, that's the uh, the one, I think it's in uh, Season 4, it's the Umbara arc with uh, Pong Krell, um, who is the... Uh, ah, shit, I forgot what they're called. Uh, he's the same species as Dexter Jutster. Um... Anyway, he uh, is, it turns out, not all the Jedi are good. Surprise, surprise. Um, and he has fallen to the dark side, and he is pitting his clones against one another and, and fighting because he is ready for the war to end and for, you know, the Sith or dark side takeover to begin, essentially. I think that's in season four. And the one of the big things about it is that the entire world is always in darkness. Um, so, like the people of Umbara have learned to see with uh, see differently than human, you know, than, than normal humans have. And and so, like the clones have to deal with the complete darkness and everything like that. And um, I think vaguely it's a it's a metaphor for Vietnam, but I'm sure uh, generally, but I'm sure there are very specific things.
1: Yeah, so it's one of the really, it's it's maybe the most interesting um, addition to the to the canon from Clone Wars as as battles go, and uh, it's a trope that's more a thing in fiction than commonly observed. But you have the the commander who becomes convinced that his own side is lost and figures out how to use his position um, to try and secure a position elsewhere, to try and figure out how to, how to defect in the most um, lucrative is the wrong word, but the most uh, personally rewarding for own narrow visions way.
0: Um, Isn't this kind of like, um, Apocalypse Now. I mean, he Pongrel obviously didn't take on his, uh, you know, didn't take on an army or whatever, or uh, you know, like subjects, but you know, sort of like that, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's very clearly a Heart of Darkness inspired, um, and it's got it's got the whole the whole that that war becomes consuming, and it's one of the. Uh, wild things to think about is that the the Clone Wars takes place over like three years canonically, um, which is uh, certainly a lengthy time for a war. And given the intensity of the war, there's a lot that happens there. But it's also um, less than one-sixth of
0: the current wars the U.S. has been fighting. So, <laughs> um... <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, like, re- like you know. Wars in real life are going to be short. We're going to be hailed as liberators and they're going to be done. And that'll be that. So, yeah.
1: Right. when we have a bitter insurgency, you will go mad from having to command it for a few months and not just know that you're going to rotate out once every rotate in and out once every few years for, uh, the whole conceivable 20 years of your, uh, enlistment. It's good. Um, yeah, so, um, I mean, there's plenty in there. We've talked about Clone Wars many times. It's good. It's interesting. There's a lot they do to characterize it um, and to show, right, that the the thing about a galaxy spanning war, one of the things I think that Umbara does really interestingly, right, is you show that it is for the Republic you get to see. It is the war of um, the Republic against a, like, against a proxy, or against a proxy and the enemy. And for the people of Umbara, right, it is an, they, this is an invasion they are resisting, which is just a thing that should be covered more in looking at wars and things, and I guess we have to turn to Star Wars to really hit that. So, Revenge of the Sith might be the most um, might have the most battles of any of the, other than the non-shows of any of the films. Um, mm-hmm. And it opens with uh, perhaps the most interesting battle, certainly one of the, the more spe- spectacular in the full sense of spectacle, um, which is we get our invasion, uh, the Battle of Coruscant, right? Um, which is mm-hmm. uh, it's no longer canon, but the Tartakovsky Clone Wars Battle of Coruscant. Um, Highly recommend watching that as a lead-in to the Revenge of the Sith one next time because it's a really... uh, It builds Grievous up to be an actually menacing figure and it also um, shows that it's really an intended... It's a decapitation strike and invasion um, aimed at Palpatine (laughs) as though uh, capturing Palpatine is the way to end the war. And the thing... um, not that there haven't been wars or battles fought to actively remove leadership as the single goal and then hope that the rest of the people who had been fighting on behalf of a leader fall in line. Um, but the thing it strikes me as most um, is Horace's gambit in Warhammer 40k um, where the, the Primarch... <laughs> fall into chaos leads the chaos space marine legions against the emperor of man. And all of this is, I realize you're listening to a podcast about the deep stuff of star Wars, but this is a layer deeper and darker and tree If you don't worry about not knowing it, but that's what it, it felt like to me as a kid who compulsively read Warhammer source books. Um, growing up as you see it's an attempt to do to launch to end the war in a in a clean killing blow of the leader
0: yeah it's um so like i don't i, I mean that yeah that's a the horus the horus heresy is good is you know good enough uh for me i don't i don't know any specific wars uh that it really compares to but something that i always find interesting about uh the battle of coruscant is it's supposed to be like just an overwhelming mess that that's the point like it's um in uh in uh, attack of the clones you know obi-wan goes to camino and they tell him they have uh, two hundred and fifty thousand clones ready, with a million more well on the way, and then in the Battle of Coruscant alone, which was a majority of all the Republic's um uh, naval forces, um, there were ten, at least ten million clones fighting in in the Battle of Coruscant alone. So, you know. Probably like two or three times that on uh, on the uh, Separatist side with the, uh, with the droids. And, you know, I just always, Star Wars is so bad at scale, at showing scale. And to me, like I understand, I understand why people might not like that battle that much. I like it because um, I think it's supposed to be frenetic and, you know, it's supposed to show like this is showing the Anakin Skywalker that Obi-Wan talks about in a new hope. He is the greatest star pilot in the galaxy because he could outfly homing missiles and because he could, you know, knock spider droids off of Obi-Wan's fighter in space. Um, like with his own ship and you know that. And so uh, to me, that's, uh, I, I like that. That's interesting, but, um, you know, they just, uh, I mean, there are like literally tens upon tens of millions of combatants in that. And yeah, Star Wars is bad at scale.
1: <laughs> and one of the things, right, is that the the language of film means you have to have things at a certain visual distance. Um, and you can sometimes do like long range stuff, but then you're doing like naval war things, which are harder, like battleship, pursuit and whatnot, and that's um, certainly doable but but trickier and not how Star Wars has chosen to do things, and instead you get um, what is functionally like World War II dogfighting, but also there are drones, um, but also there are flying, but also there are there are ships you can land on. It's uh, The chaos serves it well. I think the Battle is not really um, if it doesn't capture the scale, it certainly captures the messiness of the whole thing, um, and we get a few other other battles in there. Um, there's the Battle of Utapa, which is uh, the one where Obi Wan goes to pursue uh, General Grievous, um, and we see we see glimpses of other battles. We'll get to that in just a second. But one of the things that I find sort of fascinating is every single like the the prequel. Battles are all focused on a, like, they're focused on a person of leadership, right? It's all about this is what you do to capture. And it's very, that's extremely rarely what wars do. You often fight until um, battles happen, until uh, a side quits or cannot continue. And it doesn't take... Like, oh, we'll keep fighting until like the king is dead or the general is dead or the commander or whoever is dead. It's just like, well, uh, this is exhausting and bad.
0: <laughs> um, and it doesn't well, look I mean, like we have know, a hope of winning. It's, so we just, it's just World War II again. You know, they were just fighting until we killed Hitler. You know, that was it. And and once we killed Hitler, everything was fine. You know.
1: And it's the like the world was University safe. Everything was
0: peaceful. Totally right. yeah.
1: yeah. Um. Again, because its the I mean, it's like, right. It's—it's it's based on yeah. the notion that you need a defeatable, clear personified enemy, and once you do that, then everything falls. And again, you're doing it with droids and clones. It's—it's it's, its own thing, but it's really um, that George Lucas cannot conceive or chose not to. Cannot is maybe too strong, but certainly in portraying things, chose not to show battle about anything other than like, like capturing the palace in the battle of Nabu might be the only like physical objective you have that isn't like destroy a specific weapon or capture a specific person. And even then that's about like surrounding leadership and removing them and putting them in arrest. Um, yeah. So the other big it's thing, which isn't. Exactly. Yeah, so the other thing, which I'm, I'm going to toss to you, Luke, which isn't, um, specifically a, uh, a battle in the sense that we know about it, though. If there's enough Jedi at scale, I think it counts um, is order 66.
0: Yeah. So um, I've never seen, I've never seen it, you know, officially claimed that this was the intention. Um, So it might, this all might be a coincidence, but in um, 1307, Um, King Philip IV of France uh, Decided to Purge all of the Knights Templars From his kingdom He engineered a massive Nationwide purge against the Templars Partially for, for religious reasons And partially to forgive his own debts Um in one day in 1307, uh, the agents of the king stormed the homes of Templars, arrested hundreds of them, uh, the not to be tortured until they admitted heresy, and most were killed. Um about 7 years later the last grand master of the templars you know grand master just like uh just like yoda uh was captured in 1314 and burned at the stake uh technically the papacy had jurisdiction over the templars but the papacy had been compromised and was in philip's pocket um and obviously there are a lot of uh A lot of lines you can draw there because um you know that's that's a lot like what palpatine did he you know took over um this force and you know obviously there wasn't like a magic word or anything that the king of france said but um you know having the troops immediately turn on the jedi and um, e- even though, you know, you're doing it outside the heart, hi- the hierarchy of how, um, it was designed to function like with the Pope and everything like that. Um, and, uh, you know, you can see the parallels there. So, um, yeah, I think that's interesting, even, uh, whether it was intended or not, if it wasn't intended, it's way funnier, I guess, it, <laughs> to me, like if they were just like, yeah, it just lines up really well. Absolutely.
1: Um, Yeah, and it's a thing, too, where we see that part of a a running theme, um, especially we see this more clearly um, in histories that come down of, of dictators and kings and tyrants and that sort, where the fighting is not just about an external enemy, but also how do you use the war as an excuse to get rid of a... Mm-hmm. Rival in power, um, and sometimes it's purchase. Sometimes it's uh, King David sending the husband of a woman he has a crush on into too close to the walls of a
0: city. They're beseeching all sorts of things. History. Full- Here we go. We got. We got. We got World War Two in there, and now we got the Bible in there. Like that's all of American history in two, In you know, in two references. There you go. Truly, so, truly the. <laughs>
1: And you throw in Star Wars, we've covered basically every analogy the Senate will ever use. Um so the next couple of things. Um Solo has more battles than its reputation suggests. Um and one of the, I think, uh better better choices in the movie is the um is the hard cut to Han Solo at the battle of Mimban, which is the one where he is just in the shit. Um, and it's hard, to, it's amazing because it is a we know that the Empire is fighting, we have a vague sense of um what they're fighting. Um, is this Mimban? Did I get this battle wrong?
0: Um, no minban is the, the one where... where they're in the mud
1: yeah yeah, in the yeah, mud yeah yeah
0: and where they, they have the beginning and then they have like this like ancient the the empire is using like by their standards very old equipment um um and there's all the mud and then han gets locked in there with chewy and then they escape yeah yeah,
1: yeah okay so that is minban I mean, um yeah, so I just think it's really interesting because you see, right, that the and we obviously know, right, the whole arc of the series is that the war doesn't doesn't end with the Republic's consolidation of victory over separatists. But the idea, right, that the the experience of being in war, right, is you are uh, you're enlisted and it's shitty and you don't know what's going on. Um, and it seems like a large enough, it, it's almost, it's absolutely a large enough battle to count. But the one where, like, the stakes are so irrelevant to the people fighting, it's just what's happening.
0: Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, why are we still in Nam? Why are we still in, you know, Iraq? Why are we still in Afghanistan? You know, just 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 pick your poison, um, I guess.
1: I mean, it's very, it's very. Um, it borrows like a lot of like Western Front tropes, right? Like it's the the mud, the thick fog, the unable to see anything. The sort of you get your tropes of like the uh, people getting shot for or threatened with getting shot for retreating. It's just very, very first half of the 20th century, just in the shit of it. Um, the other thing, so solo. That's the only real. Battle of Scale at Solo. But the revolt on Castle, I think, is the other thing that counts. That seems to be the only um direct uprising by people who are not like already previously an armed group. Um which is interesting, it's worth noting, right? These are the things that happen in the background. You can imagine um a more skilled hand or a different take on how to tell star Wars could have told a story about, um, about revolt to the brutal conditions of not just like the empire specifically, though the empire certainly doesn't object to how Kessel is being run, but specifically about like the actual, um, (laughs) the day to day, uh, oppression and direct enslavement in Kessel. Um, and it's something missing, I think it's something that's uh, coming around to, it's certainly common in academic history now, and it's something that's coming around to widespread um, wider understanding in the U.S., right, that the, um, that slave revolts are our labor, are our, our labor action, are labor revolts, and it is a, um, obviously there's a form of anti but it's also a kind of direct action against the war being fought to keep them there, Um not that Kessel really happens in a broader context of war it's just you know it's a shit universe um there's a lot of really interesting things in it but there's a whole lot that uh really
0: easy to end up in a horrible way in the Star Wars universe yeah i i like i like Kessel just from a standpoint of uh you know that that it does have that that uprising um and it feels like a um it it feel you know it's a very cathartic thing um you know for the droids and obviously for the you know for the Wookiees who uh and and everyone who's enslaved there but um then it you know it, it also kind of has like one of the like spartacus type thing feels because it doesn't immediately lead to any you know to anything um because it's 10 years before the republic really becomes a thing and you know when the republic does become a thing um uh you know they it's underplayed but they do you know to an extent treat droids they they treat them better than the empire does and you know they especially towards the sequel trilogy you know move towards more quality with that so i think that's good but um you know it, it at the time didn't uh, you know, didn't change or fix anything. So it seems, you know, like one of the Spartacus type things where, you know, it was a, you know, an, an uprising with a noble purpose and everything like that. But, you know, it, it got, you know, it got put down to whatever extent.
1: Right. And star Wars, seems seems um, like lots of things, right. It doesn't particularly dwell on the consequences of the in between stuff in the history of um, uprisings like that uh, in the U S and elsewhere broadly um is that there are lessons learned but they're all learned by the people in power who still have guns and it's just that they make things worse um and that's almost certainly what castle (laughs) foreshadowed not that we get or spend time delving into it um so rogue one i think is the last one we're going to talk we're going to wrap this up at the the five prequel films um (laughs) and i think um I spend uh, a, a fair bit of my time in the whole national security Twitter space and the battle of Scarif, I think is widely regarded as the there as one of the most interesting and uh, the best, at least from the people who are serving or currently serving her in that universe. That's the thing they focus on, right? Like of all Disney star Wars, like everything they like can be summed up in how in the battle of Scarif and how, um, how much, how faithfully they feel it is to given all the things and also how uh, just really
0: cool it looks. I mean, it does. It's to me, it's, it's the best space battle in Star Wars. Um, And so I really, um, I really enjoy it. Uh, The the space part of it, obviously the, the, uh, the hammerhead Corvette um, ramming the ship after the, the y-wings that are obvious homages to um world war ii bombers uh after they disabled star destroyer and everything and that takes down the shield like and and uh yeah i just think it's a great battle like i think it's uh frenetic and it's well done and you know i know that a bunch of changes were made in like a second uh filming or, you know to reshoot some stuff and you know I, I think that's an example of where the the reshoots got it right to whatever extent they happened. And there's this great
1: quote um, from, from Gareth Edwards, which I think you, you pointed me to. Um, He says uh, that um, this is the, the Yahoo entertainment story of it in order to effectively cast his material in a war movie mold He prepared for the shoot by photoshopping rebel helmets on the soldiers in war photography from Vietnam, the South Pacific, and the Middle East, as well as replacing those images' military vehicles with X-wings. Which is wild. um, That, like, they're just literally, like, we're going to... Obviously, Star Wars plays heavily in tropes, but to specifically say like, okay, we're gonna look at like the the photos coming out of Iraq and the photos that came out of Vietnam, and we're just gonna slap X wings over
0: helicopters. Um, well, I mean, incredible the, choice. The more that you think about it, uh, yeah, the more you think about it, like the the truer it is because, um, you know, when when the U wings are dropping the soldiers off on. Um, on the beaches, you know that looks to me anyway like uh movie depictions of uh soldiers getting out of a a chopra in Vietnam you know like they gotta they gotta land in a hot l z and then the the ship's gotta get out of there that that's what that always looked like to me um, and you know yeah seeing that article i was you know was very interested to find that out because I was like, oh okay, well, yeah, uh you know. i guess it was definitely a direct homage or a purposeful one or whatever and it's one of the really fascinating parts of it
1: too is that because it is set against the empire it's a way to take all that imagery of um wars where the u.s has been um at parody or the more expensive um better equipped military in the actual war, and then take that same imagery and transpose it to where the rebels are outmatched and outgunned, Um, which is a really, really fascinating um, choice and twist Um, and gets you, and it gets you a really sort of how you get the distillation of, well, here are the, (laughs) we are the rebels
0: when, (laughs) hmm, (laughs) hmm, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I got, I got you. I got what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it. On the one hand, it, it, you know, kind of backs, it kind of backs over the trope, or you know, the idea from Return of the Jedi where, you know, the Ewoks are um, the Viet Cong, um, which we'll get into next time. But um, you know. But at the same time, if you want it to look like a real, you know, war skirmish, you know that you you got it. They, they did it.
1: No, it. it George
0: Lucas apparently said he liked uh, Rogue One, so you know, good for them. <laughs> I like Rogue One, so yeah. But yes, your your point is well noted. It uh, to clashing, uh, clashing imagery, I guess.
1: Sort of. It's just a really interesting. I'm sure there's there's better film studies takes on this, but it, it's something I find fascinating. Uh, it works super mm-hmm. effectively in the movie. You very much get the sense that they are this equipped and this outmatched. Um, yeah, which is which is sort of the the nature of what? How do you make it so that you can have a galaxy spanning war where both sides have uh, have spaceships? Um, fascinating. Well, I think that's. <laughs> <what we've got. laughs> for today
0: uh any any last thoughts for this one luke no i um, looking forward to having like one, uh, one, one big input in the next episode as well <laughs> so you were fine it's great we'll be fine um so thank you
1: all for listening to this episode of a people's history of the old republic You can follow us on Twitter at photorpod. You can email us at photorpodcast at gmail.com. You can send us questions and comments and we will answer them on the show. Um, Next time we will be talking about all the the battles from uh, Y and ABY. Um, And if you want to send us anything about that, please do. Um, And if there's another topic you want us to cover, do not hesitate to reach out.
0: I'm at AthertonKD on Twitter. And I'm at LucasAmazing on Twitter. Thank you again. And may the force be with you.